You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anisa, and Parma. Hey guys, this is Parma, and I'm here to interrupt our previously scheduled programming, where uh, originally we had intended to give you guys the third part of our year-end gag, and it's a special part because we are giving out the Goguma Awards to our favorite dramas of 2021, and. Our listeners are giving out their own awards, so this would be the first of the year. Anyway, that's not happening this week because I dug up an episode that really should have come out months back, but kind of lay forgotten for a while. And this is an episode that we live recorded for the K-pop Social Night Conference, which is an annual conference they hold on, well, all things Hallyu. And the topic for that live stream was when dramas ruin you for real life. It was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of our listeners turned up, and we were reading the comments and trying to get our points across. So it was, it was, you know, dynamic. So while you're waiting for the final part of Yar and Yak, please listen to this episode and let us know how dramas ruined you for real life. This episode is also brought to you by Kensington's newest title, The Spanish Daughter by Lorena Hughes. In 1920s Ecuador, a young chocolatier from Spain must impersonate a man to claim her birthright after her father's death leaves his cacao estate in the hands of her half-siblings. Captivatingly lush and threaded with suspense, the Spanish daughter draws from the real-life history of its setting, a cacao farm near Vinches in Ecuador's coastal region. Known as the birthplace of cacao, this small town became the epicenter of the 19th and early 20th century cacao boom. Lorena Hughes drew additional inspiration for the Spanish daughter from the shamefully forgotten life of a Spanish woman named Maria Purificación García. Though she was responsible for developing the cacao bean roaster in 1847, a revolutionary invention that ultimately introduced chocolate to the world, little is known about this innovative woman. Hughes resurrects her in the Spanish daughter as the grandmother of her protagonist, Puri. Weaving a thread of suspense with the history of her native country and inspiration sparked by a remarkable woman who was written out of history, Lorena Hughes tells a story as necessary as it is captivating about identity, family secrets, heritage, resilience, and of course, the irresistible allure of chocolate. You can find The Spanish Daughter by Lorena Hughes wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Hey. This is, well, I guess we should introduce ourselves first. I'm Saya. I'm Anissa. And I'm Parma. And we got to choose our own topic for this. So we chose When Dramas Ruin You for Real Life. And yeah, I mean, there's so much to say. I wonder if we're going to get through it all. <laughs> so in this in this session, we want to take a look at some of the healthiest relationships in drama land and what makes them so special and how they help us take a look at our own lives. So the first thing we want to jump in on talking about is dramas and the challenge of idealism versus realism. Go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're just... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, and then we're going to talk about specific things that we personally find the most ruinous. Appealing? Yes. Ah, No, ruinous. (laughs) Ruinous. Yeah. (laughs) Ruinous to our equilibrium in real life and our expectations. Right. Yes, right. So in idealism versus realism, it's one of the things that 
I suppose I find so comforting about K-dramas, every aspect of your life that has realistic, um, that doesn't sound right, every aspect of your life that has flaws, <laughs> or rather that, has, that could be pain points, are depicted pretty realistically on screen, but K-dramas often turn those relationships on their heads and show us different aspects of it so that it becomes comforting because you feel like you understand the other side. The thing that was causing such grief, like this other person who this relationship is usually very hostile and you don't understand what the other person is thinking, K-dramas would give you that person's perspective and you would sympathize like not maybe not in your real relationship but on screen you would be like i understand <laughs> that's that's something i find really really great about k dramas in that they try to be nuanced they try to even make very unappealing characters if not appealing but at least sympathetic and not uh, ridiculously sympathetic but just sympathetic to the degree that they are human and their humanness is underlined but also they often lift up mundane relationships to the point of like ridiculous idealism that you you want in real life but haven't experienced yet but it's a nice thought that it might exist somewhere even if it's in drama land mm. it's the central challenge of uh any form of storytelling isn't it that you want to bring the viewer along with you. So there's that whole, it has to be real enough. But you also don't want to destroy them with real life because that's not why people are there. They're not there to be ground under the heel of realism, right? So you balance, like the challenge of this story is to balance those two things to give you something that is, as you say, both relatable but also uplifting or at least acceptable emotionally acceptable <laughs> if that's not too downer of a way to put it yeah and I think for me the thing about having idealized relationships or dynamics in dramas is that like there is a certain pleasure in seeing on screen what you will never be able to have in real life like let's be real these are a lot of these are like men written by women I don't think some of these are men that I would ever find in real life and that's okay like I don't need I, I mean I think it depends on the person for me. Like I can, dis I can distinguish between fantasy and reality, but I can still enjoy the fantasy of like, here is this perfect relationship. There's just a lot of pleasure in like, and like almost like therapy and just seeing that and having a break from like all, all the terrible men that you have to deal with in your daily life. And you're just like, Oh, look, here's an example of a, of a man who is going to take care of my feelings and who is not going to steal all my ideas and pretend like they were his ideas and will not like talk over me in a meeting. And I mean, that is valuable as an experience in entertainment. And I think it was one of the things that I loved coming from coming to K-drama from like American TV, where like it was, especially at that time, I think American TV has gotten a lot better in the last 10, 15 years, but especially then it was all about like these really kind of alpha like anti-heroes that were like doing a lot of bad stuff but they were cool and like it didn't matter and like it was all about like his journey and like who cares if the women get fridged on the side like what I wasn't into that like so then I came to K-dramas and it was like these full nuanced relationships not only between men and women but like with your parents and with your sisters and with your friends and bromances and and, and with children and so that was that's something that I think has a lot of value and like it doesn't have to be realistic to have value. 
I guess mm. is what I'm saying. And th- yeah, I mean, this makes the perfect sort of lead into, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but the reason that I proposed this particular topic is because of Ryan Gold. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Gold, our non-toxic male lead <laughs> of this um, decade. Right. And you know, like that drop that, that was um Kim Jeok in her private life and with uh, co-starring with Pang Min Young. And when I I think I finished that drama and I c- closed the uh, window and like I think I immediately texted you guys, like, is it possible for dramas to ruin you for real men? Because <laughs> I feel so ruined right now. <laughs> so that's where the inspiration for the session came from. And also, as Anissa was saying, we often say about other things. In fact, Anissa said it really recently about Sisyphus. This drama was so clearly written by a man. And like we always say this about other things. And in like with Ryan Gold, you just yes, this hero was so clearly written by a woman, uh, a woman, and two women to be exact, because Kim Sang-yeon wrote the original 2007 novel called Nunafan.com, and that was adapted to a webtoon, and the screenplay was written by Kim Hyung. and just like, what virtue does Ryan Gold not have? He's considerate, he always asks, he doesn't need to be asked to do things, he's like emotionally literate, He's emotionally available. He doesn't pay for uh, IQ. Like he doesn't pay for IQ with EQ. He has both. Like he's got all of the sensibilities. He's not prejudiced. Right. He's, he's um, perfect like, in every way, physically. <laughs> he's, got all, he's got all of the like sensibilities of an incredibly modern man. But it's cut with all of the sort of dashing gentlemanliness of this old world romantic hero. So... Ryan Gold, <laughs> ruined for real life. How about you? <laughs> so we're going in reverse order, right? So for me, one of the things that I really love in dramas, and by the way, these are supposed to be like tropes that we love when in the example. And then I was just like, Ryan Gold, that's my trope. I was like, okay. <laughs> no, and he but fair. was like, lol, how is Ryan Gold a relationship trope? I'm dying. <laughs> I think he is. These are the intellectual notes we leave each other in our dog. But for me, one of the... uh, He is, absolutely. He is an epic uh, beyond proportion. Yeah, because I tried to come up with more and I couldn't find anyone else. Sorry. He's the only one. He is. Makes sense. So for me, one of the tropes I picked was underdogs rising. And I think a lot of the ones that I really loved have been slice of life shows with underdogs in them like poem a day. I'm only halfway through Maya Joshi, but I've heard that that is like one of the best dramas ever. So I'm excited to finish it. Chief Kim, which is like really quirky, but it's also kind of an ensemble slice of life about a group of underdogs, but the absolute favorite of mine and shut up flower boy and also gets, gets a special mention, but me saying is kind of unbeatable in my heart as like the ultimate underdogs rising drama because, and I was talking to my sister and she was like, but did they really rise? Like, and I was like, stop being so technical with my definition. (laughs) Semantics. Yeah, she's very, she's like, she always has to pick at me. (laughs) But it is, I mean, maybe they don't become like the top of the company and take over the company and become CEOs. But there is a journey of like, basically having nothing and no hope for anything. And then slowly building these relationships with your team. And then slowly finding your self-worth and your purpose and your 
your meaning in life. And oh, it's just so good. If you haven't seen it, you have to watch it. It's so, so, so good. Every every person should have a manager O in their life. That's um, kind of like that lands on the side of the realism that we talked about earlier, isn't it? There's like that realism that makes you feel so close to it. But then there's that whole they emerged triumphant or at least they've achieved the thing they set out to achieve. And maybe it's because it's the relatability of it that is what people responded to the most in Misenga, I found. Yeah, absolutely. And Marisa was pointing that out in the chat that it was extremely difficult in the beginning, right? Mm, like it's super so relatable. Hard. And like, I, I know some people weren't able to continue because of that reason. But if that's you, it's totally worth like the emotional satisfaction that you get later is so worth like that first episode or two where you just are in Jangare's shoes and you're just like, oh, life is gray and everything is sad. And I but guess, I mean, the, and it makes it so much more rewarding, the rise after that, you know. And that's also that's also like a technique that like a storytelling technique to get you to attach emotionally to a character, right? For some like underdogs, the people who are going through like the bad stuff and with the human sympathy that you have of course that is what you would your immediately your emotions engage in right and like it just digs into you so deep mm-hmm. <sighs> basically whenever you see him showing after that you're just like Tangere. yeah he's always going to be that character to me <laughs> right <laughs> for me the relationships that I wanted to talk about are more ha- so I'm going to start with one of the tropes that I really, really, really like, especially in recent years, because it wasn't very well done before. It's how doctor-patient relationships are portrayed in dramas. For the longest time, doctor-patient relationships were basically like, either the doctor knows best, and therefore, if the patient is arguing against the treatment or is asking too many questions, the doctor just shuts them down and does whatever needs to be done and then they are proved right or <laughs> and an example of that honestly I, I wrote that down here ideal doctor patient relationships not descendants of the sun <laughs> why <laughs> what was so bad I, was about? I don't remember up. it was a long time ago <laughs> it's it's really hard to give you an exact um example of what was so wrong but I'll tell you why I landed on descendants I was looking up because there have been so many doctor-focused dramas over the years. I was looking up lists online when researching this trope and Descendants of the Sun was like glaringly on the top of a lot of lists. And I was like, why? First of all, the medicine was really not the focus of that drama. I don't think of that as a medical drama at yeah, all. Yeah, neither do I. That's you 100% a romance. Sure. But like, okay, come on. Most but there is dramas are. As a doctor, yeah. <laughs> it's it's actually more a army drama almost one of the few rare army dramas key dramas have um which is a topic thank god we don't need more (laughs) (laughs) it's isn't it interesting how few there are oh sorry that's a digression which is the kind of things we usually edit out yes it's another episode for another day Descendants is not a good example of that because the patients, it was more about war zone situations. So whatever the doctor decides goes, which you can be, we all understand as audiences and are like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's an extreme situation. Of course, whatever the doctor decides goes, but in an ideal world, the patient's will, faith, belief system. There was just this, I think, one instance in Descendants that was relatively done well, where I think there was a person whose faith was um, 
kind of preventing them from getting the treatment and the doctor in charge was actually respectful of that so that was a good depiction but overall not the drama i would say <laughs> i it sort of idealizes my what i love about the doctor patient relationships recently shown in k dramas a good example would of course be mad for each other the way the therapist is shown helping the main leads the way she leads them towards talking about what's happening in their life respectfully and non-judgmentally that almost is never happens i was so impressed especially because how mental illness in general is shown in k dramas i was just i was really blown away but just how calm and non-judgmental she was if i got a therapist like that man i'm telling you i would i would give whatever she charged for <laughs> and the other drama again it's not perfect but hospital playlist the it's the entire premise of of that series is like really good understanding doctors who try to be as respectful of the patient as possible of course there are instances where the patient is being belligerent and they are wrong and the doctor is right but over and over again i just i find i was rewatching the first season of hospital playlist because i was like am i misremembering this and there is this one instance where songha which is one of the five main doctors wait is it five yeah it's five. <laughs> she basically berates her the resident who works for of uh, like kind of under her because he was shouting at a patient who didn't want something done and the resident was like no you don't understand i'm doing this for you why don't you just listen to me since you're misinformed you just don't know and songha basically just shut that down forced him to apologize to the patient and that is a situation which i am not familiar with in the real world <laughs> the way i have seen doctors function my dad is a doctor okay i don't come from this without knowing the other side of things but even my dad finds the whole doctor patient relationship generally toxic the way hospitals do it the way established clinics do it there might be individual doctors who are doing a good job but the way doctors don't put like don't they have the interest of the patient they are experts in their fields that's great but you have access to the human body you but the body belongs to a person and these are few dramas where the mind and the body of the person is given the given their due respect if i'm going to heal you i'm going to take your opinion into consideration your thoughts your feelings your fears i will explain every single step over and over i find that dramas depict situations where the patient is just told to go along with whatever the doctor decides and we do in real life so when you have these doctor patient relationships like it's shown in hospital playlist map for each other even romantic teacher doctor kim the entire there are so many instances in romantic teacher where the patient's choice is just held up to be more important than what the doctor thinks is right their financial situation their belief system so many things so yeah it's just it's something that i feel so good about that there are a few more depictions now that i can actually watch without feeling like internal cry building up and in in again back to the realism idealism question that in a way is is much more realistic i feel i've had cause in the last year to have a lot of contact with doctors and i found that that was surprisingly because i thought like i've seen in dramas like i've seen on tv you don't have a lot of choice about what these doctors do to your body 
And yet we, I found that every step of the way, we were always constantly told by the doctor, you have the right to choose whether or not you want this treatment. You may withdraw at any time. And it just had like the real, real life experience of doctors is generally like, I have generally not found it great. But in this specific situation, I just feel that it was so different to my expectation as built by fiction that hearing that is very heartening. Yeah, I, I just want to pop in because I always complain, of, even though I really love hospital playlists, I do always complain to Borma that like the, the doctors are too idealized. But I think the last time we talked about it, we kind of landed on the fact that it's aspirational and that kind of makes it good rather than being like upsetting. And I think for me, it's upsetting personally because I've had so many bad experiences with bad doctors or like doctors who don't care or who are not compassionate or who disrespect you. So sometimes I have like this itch under my skin where I'm like, five doctors, like I have, I've seen amazing, beautiful human beings who are doctors. I've never seen like this many of them in one space. (laughs) I'm just like, come on. Like, it's not just the main five. It's like all their residents, a lot of their interns, but then I'm like, okay, this is aspirational. This is good. I, I let's just enjoy it. So, or, or this is why everyone in all the other drama hospitals are full of bad doctors, right? Because they're all in this one. They've all gone to Yulte. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just want to read out Maris's comment, which is, I can say from my experience with clinical rotations, I'm in the health profession, that there are doctors who do respect their patients and provide compassionate care the way we see in hospital playlist. Similarly, and unfortunately, there are doctors like that cardiologist, and it's very upsetting. So yeah, it's a balance of both things, isn't it? Although I think sometimes that it might tip over a little more into the bad doctor territory. Yeah. And of course, like no disrespect to uncle. Like we love uncle. I'm, I've never, I wouldn't want to like say anything <laughs> that would, you know. Yeah, I mean, my best friend, like, like RL, my a real life best friend, she's a, a doctor, an emergency doctor, and she's like the most amazing person. Like just, yeah. So knowing one of those exists out there and is always available to me, by the way, which is just like, there's so much peace of mind in that. But to know that they exist really makes a big difference, as in they exist off screen, not just on. Yes. Are you ready for the next one? Yes, let's do it. Is it it me? Yes, it is you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you may have heard me if you were in our previous session saying, give me bromance or give me death. So... In service of that, my next one is reluctant bromance. So that is where they hate each other's guts, but they can't live without each other. And this comes up in, it doesn't come up in enough dramas. I feel like sometimes we think bromance is everywhere, but it's not like real, true bromance, uh, reluctant bromance, by the way. They do not want to be friends. They do not want to have anything to do with each other. But They find themselves relying on each other. They find that out of everyone else they know, only they understand each other. And I've been watching, uh, re-watching Goblin recently. And this just, uh, this time around, I think the thing I'm enjoying the absolute most is the Goblin Grim Reaper relationship which is Gong Yu uh, and Yi Dong-uk. It's so good. Like, they just, yeah, they really can't stand each other. But they also, like, you know, these are very lonely, very isolated super beings. And only they understand each other. Like, they don't have other people who know what it's like to be the the type of thing uh, person that they are. So they just immediately, they connect even though they don't want to. 
And so, like, they're very alone together in the same house, constantly fighting over, like, whose house it really is and how, like, Grimm is just desperate for Goblin to disappear so he can own his house. Like, there's these, like, it's always, like, the the humor that underruns it is always one of the best elements of that. The underpants song kills me every time. <laughs> it's so funny. What did you do to make them make a song about you? And or the the way that like Goblet the Gongyu is always invading Reaper's personal space. Like he always he would just like bang into his room remove his bed covers and just like start talking to him when the man is trying to sleep and he's like doing this a lot so but as the show goes on you also have like this and it's the reluctance of it that really just gets me the most this grudging respect this grudging like and Grimm is genuinely upset when he's about to lose Goblin but the moment he comes back he's like oh I hate you but like the moment he turns around he's like where are you (laughs) So that's Goblin. Another drama that I think does this in a way that just, oh, just my heart, is um, Huarang. Again, it's a 2017 drama. And that's a, a situation of forced family, like forget found family, forced family. It's this sort of, it's a warrior school, Sagak, which is, I guess you could think of it as a kind of a counterpart to like the dark academia genre it's like um tomorrow pierce if you guys have read tomorrow pierce uh given k-drama form like coming of age as a warrior with your comrades and but they're like your unchosen comrades and like through time and through trial they become the people who know you best and who have your back and they are the people who are constantly and always and just unendingly seeing you at your worst but they still they're people who come back for you so like this whole and and Huarang does this so well because it's not just two of them it's a group of them the this idea that together you're bigger than your individuality that as a part of a group this group you add up to more and like the characters with which they do this, like Park Young Shik plays uh, a hidden king. Like no, the other boys don't know he's the king, and so he's like this ultimate outsider. And there's this whole aspect of him learning to trust this group, or there's just so much. Like the this drama does this whole bromance, like at least in triplicate in the relationships across the boys. So you've got like Park Young Shik versus everyone. You've got the Park So Jun Park Young Shik. A rivalry like one of them is like one of them is the king that's Park Young Shik and you've got Park Sejun who is literally like a nameless slave like there's this whole, it deals with so many things like the class divides and you, like usually there's class lines and status and things that the lines of those are highly visible but once they're put into this warrior school where they're all wearing the same uniform and they all have the same hair and you can't tell them apart and all of that it it sort of it serves to equalize them in a way that allows them to form relationships with a slightly less i won't say that the class thing disappears completely but it like the point of it is to force them to disregard class and sort of kind of like a prince and the prince and the pauper kind of story but again in like triplicate and then you've got like two other characters like uh, Mino Chinese Mino and Doji Han who like have feuding fathers you have another 
pair of boys who one of their half brothers, one of them is uh, legitimate and one of them is illegitimate. And so you've got all of these things that uh, the friction that cause the, the things that cause friction between all of these boys. But ultimately, those things are sort of raised and equalized as they grow together as this warrior troop. And also what I find really interesting in this whole um, uh, dynamic and particularly with uh, Huarang is that it forces the boys to enact something of like the prisoner's dilemma. Like they have to know each other well enough to know the kind of choices that they'll make, especially in these sort of life and death situations. And like the, the exciting part also is that they often fail. Like, they can't read each other's minds and they don't uh, step up to particular situations in time and then they have to pay for it and that also becomes a a way for them to become closer to each other. So in the same vein, Good Detective last year, you had uh, Sun Hyunju and Jiang Seungjo with this same kind of reluctant reliance on each other. And I love like the the way that the reluctant reliance is like an indicator of their feelings for each other. The way that they like it's a kind of a, a litmus for when they stop hating each other. I guess they'll never admit it until they're like they're too deep in in that reliance. So yeah. Also, I think because bromance often demands a certain level of emotional literacy, they have to share private things about each other with each other. I think maybe because they, I don't want to say this wrong, but I hope you understand what I mean, is that sometimes these relationships resemble the the your like your the friendships you have with girls, like girlfriends, that they're able to talk to each other that they're able to be emotionally vulnerable with each other and that perhaps we don't expect to see men that way. And that's why it's so affecting. I don't know. Or even yeah. the characters themselves are like, like what you said about the reluctant promo, they're like fighting that vulnerability. So sometimes mm-hmm. they're like forced into situations where they don't have any other choice, but to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. to kind of break that barrier that masculinity puts on them about like keeping their feelings inside. And then like, once they pass that, then they're like, Oh, okay, I'm just going to, I'm Let's just going to lean into Keep the marshmallowness yeah, exactly. now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that like gives rise to such beautiful moments between people in, in that way. And yeah. Oh, my heart. <laughs> okay. I thought we were only deep diving into one and just mentioning the others. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I feel very defensive of like Huarang because people diss it so much and they're like, this is a trash <laughs> drama. And you're like, but no. It's not <laughs> <laughs> my defense of Poirot. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a great drama, as in it's it's not a great drama. It's it's a very entertaining drama, <laughs> but the bromance is the bromance couldn't save it from the rest of the writing. That that's I all. Care. I care. Okay, I, we'll we'll uh, legislate no, no. later. <laughs> I feel like we're going to get into it and then we'll derail our whole topic. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is highly likely. All right. Is it you next and you saw me? Yeah, it's me. So I am going to talk about the quirky ensemble next. A lot of examples of this, I think. I really love the one in Age of Youth. I really love the one in Reply 1994, which friend group-wise is probably my favorite, although I haven't finished watching 88, so 
Don't yell at me. I really love High School King of Savvy quirky ensemble. It's okay. It's love has a really great quirky ensemble. This is like that ensemble drama where it's not just like a straightforward ensemble, but it's like weird in some way. It's like (laughs) kind of off kilter. The characters are kind of marching to the beat of their own drum. Maybe the humor is a little bit um, unusual was almost Mm -hmm. my number one that I was going to talk about because it has such a unique sense of humor and it's so well done and everyone is so strange in their own way. But then like, it's so well done in the sense that like each person seems like just a comic relief character in the beginning. And then by the end of the drama, they all have their own unique contribution to the whole that like is individual and special. And you end up loving all all martial artists. They all have some kind of skill. And then it's, you know, like Casano family by the end. And it's great. (laughs) And that's like totally unrealistic, but I love it. But then I ended up having to choose Mellow is My Nature because there's something about that friend group in Mellow is My Nature that like it's idealistic in a way that's different from Vincenzo, which is like super fantastical and kind of super powered and overcharged in all the fun ways. Mellow is My Nature is much quieter. But it's, they just have this like unrealistically perfect accord between them. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Like they all live together and it's, you know, they all kind of help each other with each other's traumas. They're so funny. Like the meta aspect of it is amazing. Like the whole sort of the whole journey of like how the drama is made from beginning to end and, you know, the comments that they make on the drama industry. And I just really, really love that. And that's kind of one of my catnips, I guess, is that quirky ensemble. I love it. It gives me so much joy. We don't have enough of those kinds of dramas, do we? I wish we had more, honestly. You know, when I was thinking, Chief Kim kind Chief of falls Kim, into this to too. Say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I ended yeah. up splatting Chief Kim under underdogs. So then I was like, I can't use it twice. Stovely do <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> well, I find that a lot of the dramas under sort of your fa- our, our favorites, they they fit in some way in all of them so Mm -hmm. maybe that's the defining quality as well yeah yeah of course so me right (laughs) my next relationship trope is teachers and students this is actually kind of similar to the final trope I'm going to be talking about but it's slightly different in that these are definitely teacher-student relationships and this is not like really prevalent but if you guys have seen school 2013 which I was thinking the moment you were talking about bromance I was like she's gonna bring up school 2013 I knew you would want to so I didn't (laughs) I also was gonna bring up school 2013 but I didn't because I figured you guys would to me that drama is Borma's drama and whenever it comes up only she can talk about it like oh excuse you no no (laughs) With relation to me, like did I don't feel like was a law. Did was a- I did not know about this law. This is a law that I didn't agree to. <laughs> this is a good law. And the thing is, Lee Jong Sook and Kim Woo-bin, right? It's that was my first introduction to how K drama does bromance and like the intense bromance that is almost a like that is almost a relationship visceral, that right? it's it's visceral. It's like it's it's family and family with heart. And also something that goes back years. It's got like history. It's got like all of the strong emotions. And it's also a bond that is not some, it's basically a family bond because it's not a bond that's going to get frayed because both of the boys like the same girl. It's, that is just, that's in its own place, but they need to sort out their own relationship. And I had not seen friendship between 
two boys depicted that way in such an intense way in dramas before. I am taking over Saya's trope. I'm sorry. That is not what I want to talk about. They belong to Um the the aspect of 2013 that stayed with me aside from the iconic romance is how daniel choi and jung nara depicted teachers in mm. in that drama and the way the two very different um approaches to teaching and taking the students feelings and merits and ambitions into consideration but also how both of their goals kind of aligned even though the approaches were different and that was essentially what the story was about the romance was a perk but the story was about the teacher's journey to understanding how they can help the students better and there were so many aspects of this drama that i love so much but the the relationship that i want to underline is daniel cho's relationship with i mean sorry the actor the the character kang sejan which was the uh, teacher the teacher who seemed more aggressive his relationship with oh jang ho this backbencher boy who thought he would never graduate because he's got so much burden so he was basically a bully to everyone because yeah. he was frustrated with life mm-hmm. had no ambition or hopes and his relationship with this teacher initially was almost it was hostile to the point that they could probably beat each other up but of course daniel choi's character was mature he saw a bit of himself in ojango oh and tried to help the boy in the way he could but also found him a bit repulsive in that he reminded him too much of his own childhood mm-hmm. so he he was like well this boy is just going to uh flunk out of school i'm not going to spend much time on him whereas jung nara was like no you must be patient you have to give him special attention and he's like but what about all the other students who are trying harder <laughs> this boy doesn't deserve my but he was the one in the end who went to oh jung ho when he was at his lowest and dropping out of school and not turning up and nobody else knew what was happening with him it was daniel choi's uh, teacher who went to follow up on him and tried to help him as best as he could and i that really stayed with me again i i watched drama through a lens of my own experiences i have had a lot of great teachers but i have not had great relationships with my teachers in that i was one of a class of 40 <laughs> mm. and i was almost invisible to the teacher as an individual with individual struggles and that made me that made me not very fond of any of my teachers because they were not really fond of me in in a very direct manner but right, seeing this on a relationship with them i didn't not even like those momentary things where you feel noticed by a good teacher and the mm-hmm. teacher might not be great at like teaching academics but the personal relationship outside your family is so important because you're spending what like 8 hours a day in school and that when you're growing up is so so necessary so that's that's just off topic going into all about the, what the school systems like but I loved when this was depicted on screen and school 2013 was one of the earlier dramas that I'd watched like very early into K dramas I saw this. And of course there are other you know smaller examples there are quite a few other types of teacher student relationships which I'll get to towards the end. But other instances I suppose is when you had weightlifting fairy Kim Bokju's coach and mm. Kim Bokju's relationship. and you had rookie historian relationship with um her so he was a teacher to her but i suppose he was also somewhere but it was the officer minwoo one 
and mm-hmm. i and for the longest time i was like ah secondly secondly said but no that was not their the real relationship they had was that of teacher and student and he mentored her and watched her and taught her corrected her tried to understand her when she made a mistake and he reprimanded her it was because he wanted her to be better and saw potential in her that the other teachers did not like there were other senior historians who were also supposed to be teachers so yeah just that's just a that's a relationship that i'm just always uh, <laughs> also kind of a quirky ensemble <laughs> yeah ab- absolutely oh yeah. also may i just point out i know again you know much like khorang nobody nobody agrees with me on this but chao nu in rookie historian oh, i no, mean i agree 100% no i like him yeah i mean Ryan, I mean, he's not Ryan Gold, but he's like he's really he's trying. Like, uh, he is. He is the he princess. Is, yeah. He is, but that was not the point I was trying to make. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> no, he is really lovely. He is so pure. Uh, I don't know how else to. It just he made my heart happy. Yeah, like, this is I, what stands out in like so in everything that you're describing is like the purity of the emotion that's between these people, and that's. Yeah. really what i think that's the thing that we respond to is this the emotion that isn't complicated by for i mean not in not that we don't love romance but sometimes you just don't want the complications of for example romance you just want to focus on the connections and the feelings and without ascribing an extra level of i don't know i guess responsibility to it which i don't always agree with by the way because there are times when you have to take responsibility but like in this particular sense just to have a relationship like that that is free from those complications that's really that's also very beautiful when done right yeah uh, a final example before uh, we move on is romantic teacher dr kim i'd forgotten about it just came back to me that's also a yes. really it it combines the whole doctor patient relationship and 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 ensemble, and, and, ensemble and, yeah. and teacher student relationship yeah. like i mean you had a very understanding teacher in dr kim because he allowed students who had a history difficult histories to come and work in his hospital and he wanted to help them as much as he wanted to wanted their help in his hospital mm. so just yeah like it was healing the doctors as well as the patients mm. right that sounds lovely All right, let's move on to our last ones because we're running a little short on time. So, yeah. is it me? Yes. It's okay. But well, I mean, it's the a perfect sort of topical graduation because the, my last one is also it's like I didn't know what to classify this as, but like love in its purest forms, basically everything I just described, just that emotion between people. Just pure love. And I do have lots of examples. I'm just going to go with like two of them. So some of the ones I'm not going to go into are like I'm not a robot, Temperature of Love, Descendants of the Sun which people may or may not agree with and Marriage Contract. But the two I want to talk about are Shut Up Flower Boy Band and Signal. So Signal, ah, oh, Signal. That's Joji Nong and Lee Jae-hoon playing the two central characters, Lee Jae-han in the past and Park Hae-young in the present. And this oh this at its heart this story is just about the incredible loneliness of these two people and the like what comes from that is the love that grows between them as they continue to communicate and learn about each other's lives and what's so astounding is that they never meet they mm. never meet face to face in real life 
they their their relationship is built on these sort of like minute long communications that they have across the gulf of time and yet oh they do something. and yet you are sobbing like there are certain points <laughs> you're where you're right. just like sobbing over their relationship and yeah, you're I just mean, destroyed yeah like there's like the line like this it's such a simple line it's not even a particularly like memorable quote but like I just want you to be happy. Like, do you remember that scene where they're just saying to each other, I just want you to be happy? And like, for example, uh, Lee Jae-hun's character, he thinks he's been alone his whole life. And he realizes, because both of them, outside of that communication, they actually go off and learn about each other's lives. Like, Lee Jae-hun finds out about Jo Jin-ung's life and Jo Jin-ung finds out about Lee Jae-hun's life. And through, like, their emotions are built up through what they learn about each other. And then, like, Lee Jae-hun discovers that, like, he's never been alone. All of that time that he thought he was alone, Jo Jin-ung always had his back. And that's just, oh, this, like, this, the pure mutual love that makes I need to so go back and rewatch desperate. this. I, right? yeah. I'm having all these feelings right now. <laughs> <laughs> like they're so desperate to save each other because of, of this like feeling that they have for each other. And like, ultimately they're willing to sacrifice their lives for each other. And like, they've never even met. So that's signal. And then you have shut flower boy band, which is just, Oh, again, Perfect. what can you say about this? Perfect. In it's every like, way. Right. The like, unique emotions like completely inimitable emotions uh, and challenges of coming of age with your friends you're not just grappling with like your own identity you're also negotiating the relationships that you have with your friends like the love that you have for them with the reality that you're struggling to handle and for them it's all sharpened so much by dealing with the grief of losing their friend like not just individually but also as a group because group dynamics you know they change when when somebody is lost from that and so that's and all of that is alongside like a world that's forcibly ejecting them from childhood into adulthood like like from one uncertain security into an adulthood that just has no stability at all and that oh my heart Go. so good it's so, <laughs> so good, good. <laughs> I don't think there's any other show that like encapsulates the feeling of being a teenager as quite as yeah. well like the love the pain the everything the awkwardness yes the conflict the confusion the music ah yes, music. The music that's also kind of like the type of music I listened to when I was a teenager so I feel it very angry angsty here. good stuff <laughs> okay are you, are you done I'm done okay <laughs> And now I'm in a puddle crying. (laughs) Yeah, you've just turned us into mush by mentioning those two dramas, honestly. So my last one is Marriage Before Dating. And like, I know this is not an ideal situation, like contract marriage or a marriage of convenience, obviously not an ideal situation, but the ideal part comes in where it's like, this would never work in real life. Like if you married someone this way, it would probably be a disaster. And we see that in like search WWW where like, one big part of that is like the breakdown of a toxic marriage of convenience. But like in this drama world, you know, fate or destiny or K-drama land has decided that this person is the one for you. And so you get forced into like a contract, you know, marriage with them. And then like you slowly fall in love and it's perfect and beautiful. And I think what I love most about it is how these, you see these two characters 
coming together out of like either necessity or because of some outside forces. And in the beginning, they don't have feelings for each other, but they have this feeling of like, oh, like this is my person now. So it's like you have a sense of belonging. You live in the same house now. So it's cohabitation. Everybody else sees you as a united front. And then slowly that fake projection that you give everybody else, it becomes real. And then you have to take that step of making yourself vulnerable to the other person and like admit that you actually have feelings for them. Mm. And there's a real possibility that the other person will be like, but it was all a joke to me. I'm going to end the contract. Bye. See ya. Of course, we know that's not going to happen because yeah. it's a K-drama. But for the character, but it's that's a real risk. Right? Yeah, that's the leap of faith that they're taking. And so like all those things are just so enjoyable to me. And like, you know, there's a lot of these. There's like Full House. There's Fated to Love You. There's, uh, you know, Delightful Gold Chunhyang in some ways. Mm-hmm. Prime Minister and I, The Accidental Couple. I think my favorite, though, is still Goong. Just because, I don't know, it's like, it's got a special place in my heart. Like, it's not a perfect show, but there's something about how, like, young and sweet and, like, awkward and innocent the leads are. And how, like, all those miscommunications that happen are actually believable because they're literal teenagers who have just gotten married into this, like, weird like royal protocol court system thing but then they still have to go to high school and like there's so many layers and like the music and the teddy bears and so good (laughs) a marriage contract also falls under this i love marriage contracts so yeah that's that's one of my super favorite i guess tropes that would never be okay in real life but is perfect in drama yes and i guess i am doing the final trope yes Um, And that is kind of related to the last trope that I spoke about, but a little different in that this is mostly found in the workplace. And that's the Sombe-Hube relationship or the mentor-mentee relationship. And there are, it's not so much that all of these depictions are perfect, but that I really like how much consideration these depictions are given. Like I'm used to watching other industries depict mentor-mentee relationships either as a toxic thing or just as a side thing. And not really delve into it like it's another relationship that really matters in everyday life because you spend a huge chunk of your um, day at the office or on Zoom calls or on, you know, just like associating with other people. And you're learning, especially in the early years of your working life. Um And some examples that I really like. Okay, so I have complaints about this drama, but this is not one aspect of it. She would never know or somebody don't put on that lipstick. And you have such a great, like just forget about the romantic aspect of it for a second. You have such a great mentor-mentee relationship between Wanjina's character and Rowan's character. She has taught him to be respectful of colleagues, she has taught him the ropes of how to handle difficult situations in the company. And whenever he is in a bad spot with other employees, she has come through for him. Like he was her first mentee and she is protective towards him, but she's also maintained a professional distance. It just, it might just be Wanjina's depiction of what a really great mentor should be. But I fell in love with her so hard just watching her be a great zombie to Rowan's character. And one of the things that I really like is much later in the drama, Rowan has his own mentee. And yeah, mentee. <laughs> and initially, he like Rowan's trying really hard to be a good mentee to the boy, but 
he's all like, I don't even want to work at this company. I have other plans. This is just for a few months. You don't have to pay me any attention. But because Rowan is so earnest in teaching him the ropes that eventually the boy just like his will crumbles and he's like, fine, I'll work here. Please, Steve, like, I'll just stay here. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he, and, and he kind of like starts idolizing Rowan just because he is just so earnest in in teaching him because there's this moment where he's like, I understand that you're not interested, but it's my job to teach you. And if I don't do this with full earnestness, then I am a bad zombie to you, but I'm also representing the company that I work for in a bad way. Even if you leave us, I don't want you to have a memory of a bad teacher when you leave. And I was like, my God, that's what you want from a mentor. And how many um, mentors actually do that? That's amazing. Yeah. Chief and so yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you, oh, these are the manager, oh, <laughs> you kill me. Isangmin just kills me every time. Oh, uh, anyway, sorry. Another uh, good mentor mentee relationship is probably Imshiwan in Ranon, in that it starts as a Sombei Hubei relationship where Imshiwan protects his Hubei who was being bullied. Eventually, it turns into a situation where he's teaching him because his Hubei was really hurt, played by uh, Yi Jiangha. He was really hurt and Imshiwan is like, he changes his entire career. He realizes that teaching is what he does well. He would do well as a coach. And that pivot happens because he wants to help his Hubei rehabilitate and then get back on the field again. And again, such a great relationship because Imshiwan's character does everything by the book. Aside from the initial, and even then, like his one hostile moment is... Because he knows that the system is ignoring something because his hubi has no power and he knows his own background is really powerful and privileged and he wants to bring the spotlight on the thing. So he does something impulsive and against the rules, believing that his position, his privilege will shine a light on things, but the system doesn't move. So he leaves. So it's very calculated. It's not an impulsive thing that he does. And he only does all of this stuff because he wants to protect his hubei and be a good sombeer, be a good mentor, and eventually be a great coach, which I'm sure his character goes on to be. Oh, <laughs> oh, the writing it from on is just, oh so good. Another yeah. quirky ensemble. Oh. Right? <laughs> so many. I can't believe I didn't leave that out. So many. <laughs> there are so many. True. And I'm going to give two last examples before ending or wrapping this up. One is, so Romance is a bonus book, doesn't have a very clear mentor-mentee relationship, except I suppose Lee Jong-suk's relationship with the uh, female second lead, Jung Yoo-jin, that's a great mentor-mentee relationship. I'm wrong. Yeah, there's definitely a great mentor-mentee relationship there. And the respect they have, the closeness they have, the lines they draw with each other or rather yeah. Lee Jong-suk draws with her, all of that stuff is just great. But also, Kang Dani, who's played by Ina Young, her relationship, which was a bit contentious with one of the directors of the firm that she works for, the publishing company, who was made by Kim Yumi. So director mm-hmm. Go was initially very not helpful towards Dani. Yeah. Standoffish, but also kept Hostile, putting Dani right? down. Right. Like Dani was like, yeah, I'm an office temp, but I also want to learn marketing. And mm-hmm. director Go is very by the book. So she's like, that's not your job. Focus on your job. And this is kind of like crushing the dream of the youngsters. And everybody's just like up in arms about that. I was up in arms about that. And I don't think it's a perfect relationship. I just think that the eventual depiction of director Go's character where she learns to change 
like she learns to think outside the books and realizes that Dani has potential and she wants to help her. I like that. Like the rules change because you find an exception. And now that the rules have broadened, it can bring in more people, help other people. Because before Dani was like, I just don't want to stay in my lane. I want to be in the other lane. Director Ko just hadn't thought that it was something that should be done. So yeah, those, those are my relationships. Oh, search WWW. Again, really, yes. really dicey example here because the relationship I want to underline <laughs> is Betami and Songa, Songa Kyung. Ah, I forgot the names. They had a great mentor-mentee relationship which kind of crumbled. But what I loved was the emphasis on their, like that relationship was not just, you know, it wasn't just family. It wasn't just friends. It was just this, this deep relationship that are formed with years of working together and learning from a superior and then slowly starting to become friends. So, yeah. Yes, it was great. And I think that is everything. Yeah. So you can find us on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Anisa Khalifa underscore. You can find me, Saya, at Not Now Saya. You can find me, Parva, at Best the Faster. You can find our Instagram at Dramas Overflowers underscore. And our email is Dramas Overflowers at gmail.com. And we are on Facebook. Just search Dramas Overflowers. And our website is dramasoverflowers.net. And Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We did run a little over and we're glad that you stayed with us all the same. So we hope you enjoy that. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys.